If you like this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Please go to our website, talent-champions.com. And in addition to providing us feedbacks and ideas for future topics, you can click on subscribe to be notified when the next episode is released and also receive bonus content from our guests. That's talent-champions.com. Click on subscribe to receive email updates from Talent Champions. Bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm honored to serve as your host. Today, my guest is Anna Tabas. She's Professor of Human Capital Management and Academic Director of HCM Programs at NY University. Anna has a robust corporate background, includes learning leadership positions with Browns Brothers Harriman, one of the oldest and largest banks in the U.S., AIG Insurance, United Technologies, and Nokia. She's currently pioneering an NYU program to train the HR data scientists of the future. And recently, she had a well-received Harvard Business Review article published with McKinsey called HR Goes Agile. Welcome, Anna. We're thrilled to have you. Delighted to be here, Diana. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, we are so excited to talk to you about performance management to include where you see it going in the future, what's changing and why. But first, let's get to know you a little bit better. Anna, you have such an impressive background with so many varied experiences, from earning your PhD in comparative literature to a successful career as a corporate learning leader to now a pioneer of a new NYU program. Can you tell us about the pivotal moments that got you where you are today? Yes, Diana. Um, I think that the red line that runs across all and everything that I've done has been engagement with culture, with learning, and uh, taking it to the global uh, scale. So I did my PhD in comparative literature looking at a whole variety of different cultures and uh, narrative stories, et cetera, and really immersed myself in um, understanding how those stories of culture are created and kind of at a high level. And then I got an executive MBA in international business, and that's where I was able to combine my passion for culture uh, with the hardcore skills in Um, international business. That educational background launched me into a career both in academia and in the business. And I started my business career in uh, Europe, working for Motorola as the head of organizational effectiveness based out of London, and then moved to um, Finland, the happiest country in the world, (laughs) to work for Uh, to work for um, Nokia, uh, at that time the largest cell phone provider in the world as well. And so uh, working in the international context, and and actually later when I returned back to the U.S., um, it was again uh, to work for global organizations, really prepared me well 
to understand culture at all different levels, both um, corporate culture as well as, you know, how that culture could be scaled across national environments and different challenges that that creates. And then uh, having lived through um, the financial crisis and uh, several waves of restructuring on Wall Street in my last lag of corporate career, I decided to return to academia where I am now uh, trying to innovate HR curriculum because as we all know and all agree, uh, the future of HR is going to be looking very differently from how most of us learned it before. And it's going to be a lot more data driven, a lot more technology enabled. It's going to be digital, um, automated, and include a significant um, um, significant input from artificial intelligence and machine learning. So all of these elements combined, I am creating new learning certificates and master's degrees that are going to educate uh, HR professionals for the future. Wow. Every time I talk to you, I learn a little bit more about you and your very, very impressive background. And I love how you combine the academics with that practical experience. And for somebody that has just loved to continue to learn and gone back and got several degrees, I know the professors and the people that really resonated with me as far as those I respected the most were the ones that had that academic background, but also that practical experience. And wow, your background really brings it all together. I know it's exciting for me to listen to you and for our audience, but for your students that get to interact firsthand and, you know, the people that you get to touch, it's got to be so uh, enjoyable and enlightening. Yeah, thank you, Diana. It, indeed, I think um, we are moving into the era where academics and practice by themselves are not going to be sufficient. We really need to uh, bond, we need to operate in the ecosystems, and we need to contribute each other's skills across these dividing lines that existed before, because learning is happening so fast, skills upgrades are happening so fast that we need to uh, really start with practice and bring all of the knowledge and expertise of the learning profession uh, to be able to upgrade, upskill uh, workforce going forward. Yeah. And as I interact more with colleagues, it's very impressive to see how many people are going back to school because they realize that things are changing so quickly and they want to continue to stay current. So not only benchmarking and networking and connecting with their uh, experts out in the field, but then going back to get some of this academic um, additional experience and exposure to help make them more well-rounded. I love seeing that. Thank you, Diana. Just as an illustration of what you said, we are in the fall of 2019. This fall, we are launching a new program in um, human capital analytics and technology, which will be the first one in higher ed. It's a master's degree, the first one in higher ed in this country of this nature that is specific and targeted to human capital professionals. And what's really interesting about the launch of this program, first of all, we got it STEM designated. So it's going to be a STEM program. 
um, which means obviously uh, science, engineering, technology, but in human resource management. And then the second indication of how current it is was that our program uh, was approved by the New York State um, because all these accreditations take a long time, and that's part of the challenge for academia. But our program that we created in a few months was approved in three weeks um, by New York State. And I think that that is an indication of how critical those skills are. And based on our research of the market, for example, in our market, there's a significant shortage of those exact skills without really accounting for all of the professionals that need to be retrained, reskilled, and transition to operate in the digital data-driven environment. We're saying, you know, HR sometimes, but it really is the human capital. It's anybody that uh, is working and responsible for human capital at an organization or wants to be, uh, just to make that a little more clear. Uh, I wanted you to give us a little more background on Agile. Originally, I heard this associated with like software development practices. Now you're hearing it definitely used more widespread. And if you're not using it, if you're not talking about it, you probably are not as current or going to be as successful in the future. So could you give us a little bit of a background about Agile? Yes, absolutely. That's obviously one of the topics that I know very well It all started for me, Diana, with performance management um, because the interesting phenomenon that got my attention was that the companies that transitioned to the new forms of performance management, which which is more frequent, very uh, feedback intensive, um, touch points happen all the time. There are lots of things that we can discuss later on that happened in performance management. But what I realized that those were technology companies mostly that were transitioning um, to this new performance management system in HR. And when you start interviewing and talking to um, CHROs of those companies like Adobe, IBM, ING, you realize that they are responding to the way that people are working. And that's how we started our research into So how is work being done now in organizations? Because in the best possible world, performance management should be reflecting the workflow of the organization, how people are delivering to their goals and results. And so what we've noticed is that even obviously starting with technologists, everyone was working in this new way. About 90% of IT professionals are now operating in the agile format. And agile means small teams. Uh, Jeff Bezos described an agile team as a, as a team that you can feed with two pizzas. Very scientific way of, <laughs> I of love determining that. You know, the size of the team. So these small teams that operate in a very flat type of Um, system with the roles assigned um, um, on the team. And the managers are actually not even on the teams themselves. They're outside the teams. The teams are run by scrum masters. And there's a whole methodology that developed around, you know, this agile way of working, which again, in its roots goes back to the 
rise and dominance at this point of software. Software and how software is being developed, that's what set off this whole new way of working because software is, as we all know from our consuming experiences, very different from hardware. And interestingly enough, with the digitization taking off pretty much in all companies, where this technology component is no longer a standalone function. Technology is now becoming the way we work, period, in all functions, as we know. And so with this overall digital transformation, the way people work has changed. And then it triggered a whole series of changes, including the changes in performance management. And, and the term for this new way of working was agile. And that is a very technical definition of agile as opposed to um, more loose metaphorical use of this term that a lot of people use without knowing really where it comes from, implying responsive, nimble, reactive in a way. So it is all of the above, but there's a very rigorous methodology underlying it that goes back to software. That's a great explanation. I think that really can help um, our listeners better understand where it came from, how it evolved, what it is. So maybe now turning towards our talent development and HR leaders, what does it mean to be agile within the context of their jobs now and in the future? I think the most important thing uh, about agile is that we begin to measure what we do by the outcomes. You know, in a traditional way of working, um, we kind of operated, especially corporate functions, not just each job. Marketing operated the same way. PR operated the same way. And even IT operated the same way traditionally. And what was um, called the waterfall, it was the project management system that was the waterfall. You design you test on a small uh, scale, you pilot, and then you roll it out to the rest of the organization. And then you create a whole kind of selling strategy around communications and change management, a lot of structure put, put around the system that fundamentally was, we will, we will build it and they will come, right? So the fundamental difference in agile methodology is that you have the customer experience on the inside of the creation. Um, so before, it's not like the corporate function gets together and after two years, the product is out. No, you are really um, bringing the customer on the inside. You understand user experience. Or in HR case, you understand our customer experience, employees, and you roll it out and, and as, as an MVP um, in the sprints, small tests that are put out there into the system so that the feedback could be incorporated into the next stage of design almost immediately. So again, to summarize, it's customer experience on the inside of creation from the very beginning. You understand what customer is expecting. Secondly, you seek feedback immediately 
not waiting for the complete um, product to be finished. You are testing different phases, these MVPs, minimal viable product. You're putting it out there. You get feedback and you make incremental changes. Also, with this type of approach, the whole change management uh, becomes irrelevant because you're basically managing change as you go, as you produce. Your communications are ongoing. So that's how we got to the kind of continuous feedback, customer experience or client experience or employee experience. And we're shifting a lot of the fundamentals of HR into that space of agile working, responsive to the business, incremental uh, stages in the design of the final product. Additionally, you also focus a lot on the behavioral um, design. A lot has changed since um, the behavioral economics and the whole idea of a nudge came about even for HR. For example, if you are doing a benefits program redesign and you're introducing new products and benefits, retirement, et cetera, so all of this will happen with, you know, testing, for example, with a smaller group and getting the customers in the room, uh, thinking about what their, you know, experiences of your product, whether it's going to fly or not, and then integrating it into your next phase and before you roll it out and scale to the entire organization. So this is this is just an example, and I will be happy to illustrate further. No, that's a great example. And I love how you, you know, you gave the background a little bit about how other departments have been, you know, being a little more flexible, agile, putting that customer inside, starting with the customer expectations. And it's really nice to hear that HR is coming along and talent development and doing that because I think it just gives them so much more credibility and ability to produce things that really are needed and that will give and deliver the results to the company. So I love that. And and one of the things you were talking about, I love how you just stated it, is technology is the way we will work, period. You know, and I think those people who are saying, oh, I'm not really technically savvy, you know, you you can't afford not to understand technology or surround people who have that ability because technology is everywhere. So maybe you could give us a little more on how you see technology coming into that talent development HR space and how it's evolving. Yes, a great question, Diana. Thank you. Um, so think about it that way. We actually, in HR, because we're coming in a little bit later in the game, most of us, uh, even though HR used technology for a long time, but digital HR is a new concept. And digital is sort of new pretty much in many functions, although marketing is about 10 years ahead of us. Um, So we're a little slow in the uptake um, of technology. However, We are the beneficiary of this agile development with user experience in the center because by the time we get to this technology, a lot of the glitches have been worked out. So we are already getting some really cool tools that are very user-friendly. And for those of us who started with 
some of the technology phobia before, uh, this is going to go away. And not just because we are becoming more technology savvy, but also technology is becoming a lot more user-friendly. And I'm sure that all of us have experienced it in, you know, just looking at the evolution from HIRS, those big clunky systems that didn't talk to each other, mm -hmm. to um, a much more, again, use the word agile, agile way of communicating through apps, through visuals, through a much more accessible means of operating uh, within the technology environment. So what I would say for all of the colleagues of mine in HR who have a little bit of a apprehension around technology, I would say stick with it, wait, be learning, because the next tool and the next tool and the next tool is going to become easier and easier. A gamification is a big component in how those technologies are being designed. So it's going to be more of a, you know, a user-friendly, playful um, environment that the digital is bringing us to. And on top of that, when we get to the point where AI is going to be a day-to-day -day application that HR use, we're going to get training right there. We're going to get support right there. So technology is going to come our way. Um, doesn't mean that we need, do not need to uh, head out in the direction of technology and be more, you know, open-minded about it and try things out in, in the consumer environment and as well as experiment with new technologies in, in the workplace. But we are moving, uh, we are moving closer to each other. Technology being very user-friendly and us becoming less and less fearful of the tools, um, especially as the new generation is coming in and this reverse mentoring that I really, really highly recommend is, um, is going to help everyone get on board together. Wow, you've said so many wonderful things. I, I love, I love and how awesome to use the words with technology, cool tools and user-friendly. I, I, we haven't always um, heard that. And I love your advice to our audiences, you know, stick with it, wait, keep learning, that the tools are going to be easier, use, more user-friendly, and you're going to be able to, to implement them. So I love that. And, you know, coaching us all to be less fearful, because I think sometimes just our mindset can hold us back from learning or trying new things or reaching out or asking questions when we don't understand something. Exactly. Um, and there are lots of really interesting startups in HR, um, uh, uh, tackling different aspects of HR. And they actually are always desperate and hungry for HR professionals like your audience um, to partner with them because those HR insights are tremendously valuable to app developers. And what I found having myself engaged with that and, and bringing these products to my students, that that's what takes the fear away when you actually start collaborating on the development of some of these tools. Um, you understand a lot better what's involved and also kind of put your own skills in the context of technology. Um, and at the end of the day, it's also a very, very fun experience. 
Yeah. Well, I love what you mentioned about reverse mentoring. And I've been a huge fan of this from early on when I thought I was young. And my uh, leader at the time said, you know, you really should have two mentors, one that is older, experienced, and you can learn from that person. But if you can find one that is much younger, like half your age, and I was thinking at the time, okay, that would be like 15. And she said, that's perfect, because they're seeing things and learning things that you aren't experienced at. And I think that is so true. A third of my team was like 30, 35 and younger. And I learned so much from them and how they look at the world. So maybe give us a little bit more about how do you find a reverse mentor? And, and I love your collaboration that you're inviting people to come in and you're working working with your students. What a, what a win-win for both groups. Any other advice on reverse mentoring and finding one? Um, yeah, I think I just look for the most um, technology agile person um, in, on your team or even in a, in a broader organization and um, talk to them. What I'm finding, I always have my younger team members who are in a starter level administrative roles, but they're so technology capable and and it's second nature to them they're really surprised that you don't know what they know. And, and it gives them, it, in, even though we call it, you know, reverse mentoring, I, it, the mentoring goes both ways. I mean, I mean, that's how you close the generation gap because you develop a common language, you understand them better and just give them a project to work on and, and watch them do it and have set up a, individual sessions with yourself and ask them to explain how they went about doing it. I'm sure there are lots of little projects that they can do for you, and you will see how transformative it is because you will see that this person who is at the in, in the entry-level job is actually can just take you to the very different level in your own understanding, communication, etc. Like I have my administrative aid doing all of our newsletters and it's amazing visually uh, what she can do with technology and the design, et cetera, et cetera. And it elevates her in her own position being, you know, the entry level job um, that she could talk to the academic director at this point and actually um, in a one-on-one way. Um, But it's all around projects. It's not just conversations. So really doing projects together that creates uh, the, the outcomes that we're looking for. I love it. I love it. One of the things I would ask my team members when I had a chance to just meet with them after they were hired is, tell me about some of your passions or hidden talents that we should know about. And it's amazing how some of those things will come up that they love doing these things. And then how do you bring them into the team? Because the team will benefit from that. But then they'll also feel a part of the team. So maybe moving to another kind of scary, big, hairy, you know, term that people use and and can be a little intimidating is big data. And what does it mean and how does it fit into where uh, human capital leaders are going in the future? Right, right, right. You know, I I hate to disappoint you, Diana, but big data is already old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We talk about data, we, we talk about analytics, 
And the big data is the information, the, the, the data points that you gather on unorganized that's data through social media and other areas. So it's the number of these um, bytes of information that is being collected on each of us is so huge. You know, that's how originally the big data kind of originated. But the data itself is not the story, right? We keep worrying about having the right data. The accuracy of data still remains to be an issue. Data is kind of step one. You first gather the data. Uh, Where the analytics start to uh, show up in this kind of maturity curve is when having collected the data, you see you start to identify patterns and patterns tell you the story. For example, you take your attrition data. You know, you just have the numbers of people who left. Um, Here's voluntary, involuntary, et cetera. So this is data. This is just information. It doesn't give you um, any an analysis of what that actually means as a trend. And then you start running analytics and you're looking at patterns. And, you, for example, you're going to see that you have a lot more females leaving your organization than the males. So that's already beginning to shape into a pattern that, you know, this analysis will allow you to um, reveal. Um, and then from there, then you start looking into what is the story here? Why is it, you know, you're having this particular trends in your organization? And this is where you need to start, you know, looking and understanding what actually is going on. And that's if you have any employee experience data, if you have onboarding data, if you start looking at other elements, if you want to look at pay equity, for example, Uh, you would look at your maternity leave uh, policy. So that's when bringing all of these pieces of information together is going to allow you to build the story, the evidence that there is a reason why you have a higher level of attrition in, in your female population that a lot of it has to do with your policies and pay inequity, et cetera, et cetera. And this is the story. Once you work through the data, you look at analytics, you understand what the patterns are telling you, then you take that story and you shape it into a business case and you go to your senior management and you really present evidence-based um, you know, recommendation uh, that will address that particular issue. And I kind of build the sequence for you um, to understand how you get from data to analytics to the story to the business case and a recommendation. But that's what really is that whole kind of analytics and um, technology, obviously, is the tools through which we get the data, how it's all connecting together. 
That is probably one of the best, most clear, understandable explanations I've heard. And and the way you described it, I think, wow, everybody needs to be doing that. You know, if you don't, if you're not doing that today, you're you're leaving critical information on the table to help you make better decisions and, and get and achieve better results. Exactly, Diana. I actually think that there's a lot of mythology and there is a lot of fear, especially you know, in our profession, because we have not been really um, working a lot with technology and data before, but we're beginning to. But and when we actually look at it very pragmatically, we can say that we've already been doing it for quite some time. We just have a lot more evidence to support what we've been saying before. And, and it, it's very liberating and it's also very empowering for us to, again, engage in those conversations, look at the information, handle technology, and uh, because the fundamental skills are still there and all of us can do it. So as you're working with different organizations, and I know you do a lot of research as well, what kinds or what types of organizations are really standing out is, that are using this human capital, agile mindset, really using technology and data to drive decisions and results? Are there some that really are standing out as far as types of organizations that are using this? Yes, it's really a great question, Diana. Um, you know, first of all, we see differences in the industries, you know, industries where the rate of change is much faster and industries that operate a lot more with technology and data are getting there faster um, as, as well. Um, obviously, technology is leading anything that has to do with the consumer environment, sales, marketing, um, those functions are, um, and obviously ad agencies and big consumer-driven technology organizations like Amazon and everyone else is pulled into that stratosphere that, you know, Amazon has created. Even though right now we can create sort of a hierarchy, uh, saying technology financial services are leading the pack. But what I say, again, just to sum it up, there is definitely a certain hierarchy of of who is there in the front lines, definitely technology, definitely financial services, but because no one can avoid, doesn't matter where you are, can avoid digitization and and the dominance of a technology, a robotics, um, everyone is, um, is will have to get on board. Uh, just one more ex- illustration of that, the farmers, for example, just think of mechanization of the industrial agriculture, et cetera. So um, every, every aspect of our lives is going to be touched by and transformed by technology. And we better be friends of this trend because, <laughs> um, because we don't have any other option. Wow, that is so true. You need to think about it. I can't think of one industry, and when you bring up farming, you say, okay, that's pretty basic, and it's years of learning and um, understanding, but wow, everything is changing and, and needs to be, so we need to be friends of this technology. I love that advice. So if we have some listeners that are working with some maybe larger companies that 
are a little bit more set in their ways and their processes, and they've been achieving results, getting you know great results, doing what they've been doing, and they want to become a little more agile. Are there some suggestions or some? Is there some advice that you could give them to start this process? Yeah, um, I think that is definitely a big challenge when you talk to. Um, major established corporations or just bigger companies, they say, you know, we've got a legacy of a hundred plus years. It's much harder for us to change than even the Googles of this world, you know, 20 and even younger companies that were created in this millennium. Number one, I would say for those organizations, go and talk to your IT people. I think and this is my own personal bias and correct me if I am wrong, but I've been validated multiple times. HR has always been associated with compliance and in finance to a certain extent, you know, it's about headcount, it's about cost center, et cetera, et cetera. I think we need to have new friends in the organization and, and, and on the path to innovation um, and transformation of HR, we need to have technology friends. So I would think that in your organization, partner with technology, talk to them, and you will be surprised. You will find out they're already been working. They're already working in an agile way, and you can learn from them. So technology marketing are definitely the friends. Um, that we need to be really closely paying attention to how are they looking at the world, how, and not just in employee um, value proposition that we uh, used to engage with them on, but in general, how they are looking at the consumer environment, et cetera. Look at sales. You know, we, you're looking at customers a certain way and at employees in a different way. That needs to change. In some of these advanced organizations, um, the roles of customer experience, the head of customer experience and the, and the head of employee experience are merging. Like uh, Adobe, for example, Donna Morris is uh, coming out of HR, is now combining um, customer experience and employee experience. So I think just getting exposure to those functions and looking at how they do their jobs and what they see as their mandates is very, very important. And they're already in your organization. They've already walked that path that you are embarking on. So they should be, they should be the guides. They should be the role models in a way. And if you can understand how they did what they did, obviously with an adjustments and um, adaptation that's needed for HR because we are working with a very, very special populations. Um, so how do we learn inside our organizations already from the functions that preceded us in this transformation? That will be my very practical approach, Diana. That's a great suggestion. I'll never forget, I was presenting with my IT 
leader, the officer in charge of IT. I was the officer in charge of um, learning and development for McDonald's. And we presented jointly, we're presenting how we work together. And we started, they didn't know who we were. I just started asking, like, how many of you have a great relationship with your IT department and leader? And I think less than 10% of the room raised their hand. And I was shocked because I know that working with IT helped me so much understand the business, like you said, understand what's coming. And we had a handle, so being more in the learning and development space on our actual uh, customers, internal customers, and HR, uh, like you said, sometimes can be process oriented. They usually know what's going on too, but IT can get really focused on some other things too. So it's a nice win-win, but you have to be able to work collaboratively in the future with IT. And like you said, they can teach you so much because they're living technology day in and day out. So great advice for anybody that wants to take a first few steps. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and you know, it always feels much more fun for HR people. We, we like working with people, you know, I, at least I do. It just makes this from, you know, a kind of a threatening anticipation of something that's going to destroy what we know. You actually create a new community for yourself, a new set of friends, the new mentors, and look at it as a renewal um, approach rather than something that's going to disrupt and change. And, and the language of this transformation is often so damaging to us. Reaching across the aisle to these um, other functions who are actually very, very fun functions like marketing, right? Customer service. Um, you can get a lot done. And the other thing I found, Diana, and I don't know what your experience has been, that they actually appreciate HR very much and they appreciate what we bring to the table, even though, you know, we kind of have a little bit of a chip on the shoulder uh, when it comes to comparing ourselves to other functions in their organization. They actually do understand that we are in a vital role in the company and those partnerships are very, very um critical to our success. Yeah. I don't know how companies can be successful today if they're not working collaboratively. And you have to break down the silos because at the end of the day, you know, you're focused on the same customers, internal, external, and you should be focused on the same results as far as what the company needs to achieve overall, because you can accomplish so much more together. So I think that's just a, another great reminder for our group. So when I was reading about you, and one of the things that really was standing out was this new program at NYU that you're heading it up. And what does it mean to be training behaviorally informed quantitative analysts? This is this program that looking into the future of HR, you know, I um, decided that we need to be a part of the solution. Um, most of academia, just because of the structural issues of how it's set up, et cetera, et cetera, is more, more focused on academia rather than on practice. Um, but I was very fortunate to, you know, to be approached by NYU, which is a very um, entrepreneurial, very um, practice and business-focused school, um, to lead this human capital management department here. And the first thing I did 
was designed a strategy to develop two new programs. Right now we have about 300 students in the uh, HR program, which is kind of generic, classic, SHRM-oriented program. Um, so in the span of one year, I developed two new master's degrees. One is in human capital analytics and technology, which is to be launched in the fall, and that's a STEM-designated program. So because we felt the, those data and technology skills were absolutely critical for HR. And the second program that will roll out in the fall of 2020, and Diane, I'm sure you will resonate with that, is going to be also the first academic master's degree in executive coaching and organizational consulting. Where there are lots of lots of certificate programs in coaching, and some of them are based out of universities, but they are certificates, and we are actually a master of science degree. Um, so, because we, I felt very strongly that the next generation of HR will have to have those specialty skills um, in coaching, consulting delivering that information as well as understanding data and operating with technology. And so, so that's how our program is being shaped. By 2020, we are going to be a, a lot more, a lot better rounded in terms of what skills we feel we can bring to the market and how we can help our uh, students accelerate all the way to uh, most desirable positions and most in demand in organizations. Um, so that's the programs that we are launching in the next um, next fall and and the fall after that. Wow, that sounds so exciting, and and especially that executive coaching one, and really helping whether you're inside a company being an executive coach, like you said. I think today. Our talent leaders, HR leaders, really need to have those skills, and they need to be helping and coaching leaders to have those skills. But those individuals that are executive coach, like myself externally, maybe that haven't had the chance to grow up in a corporation and be in an executive role and work closely with some IT people and use data and to help drive decisions. I think that's a piece that if you really want to help your clients move forward, if you don't have that expertise, it could be a gap. So I love that. Wow. Is it online? Can I do it online? Yes, yes. It's it's going to be uh, what we call blended. Uh, there will be um, an immersion, uh, a one-week immersion in the beginning and at the end of the program. It's accelerated. So it's the minimum credits needed for a master's degree. So we will bring the whole cohort on, on to campus because we feel um, that people would really appreciate being in New York City, being immersed. Uh, we were going to uh, go to companies. We're going to do a lot of immersive kind of experiences when people are actually uh, in a residence with us. And then everything else is online, which allows for a broader reach and, 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 a, and a lot of diversity in that classroom. Great. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So we've talked about a lot of different things. And I love how you started. You talked about, you know, your passion is around the culture and hard skills and bringing it together. And so any other um, insights in regards to making these cultural shifts that can embrace the way that companies need to be moving forward? 
Um, you know what's really interesting, Diane, just to really quickly before the end of this podcast, I am launching another uh, research study now on uh, the meaning of the career and what, especially early career. And what um, we are finding is, first of all, that career in itself is a kind of ongoing, again, this uh, climb the ladder type of trajectory is, not, is no longer happening. And so the unit of measure uh, for work is becoming skills. So we're getting into a much more uh, nuanced uh, workplace situation, which will allow for a lot of, I think, mobility of talent. If skill is your unit of measure and not the job, um, then you have a lot more uh, opportunity to kind of combine different skills together and create jobs that never existed before. Like what I said, let's combine a little bit of HR and a little bit of marketing. These are skills rather than you had a marketing job, you had an HR job and you continue in HR and you continue in marketing. And the same thing. And we're seeing lots of crossovers because for companies that have started to implement that skills-based approach to work. Uh, IBM, for example, they have a whole internal uh, marketplace where people can um, volunteer for different projects, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my next research to see, you know, what would it take for us to create an economy and what kinds of impact uh, this type of thinking um, is going to have on pretty much everything we do including the uh, backbone of HR, like jobs and job descriptions and all of those things. So if they're going to go away, so what will be that unit of measure? How do we evaluate it? How do we move it around? How do we recruit for it? So there's lots of opportunity, but I think it's all very exciting. And I think as that HR is coming into its own, really. I think the age of HR is coming because, because of how critical talent is, how critical learning is, and this century is going to be about HR. That's my prediction. I'm very optimistic, and I'm very proud to be in the profession. Wow, I love that, the age of HR. And I would put talent development in there. We're seeing kind of a combination of those two. Yeah, to your point, you know, HR is kind of a code word for a much broader domain. Um, it's an old term, but it's really about human capital. It's about talent. It's about people. Yeah, love it, love it. So can you tell us uh, about a person who's had the greatest impact on your professional life and why you wouldn't be where you are today without that person's influence? Um. You know, it's very hard to say because there, were, there have been many, many, many. But um, I think my manager in my first corporate job, when I left academia and joined Motorola in London, um, my manager was the most probably influential for my um, corporate career. Um, and his name is Bill uh, Westwood, and he is now a senior partner with Corn Ferry, and he's a coach. So I think I've just benefited hugely by having a manager who was extremely emotionally intelligent, intelligent, very supportive, 
and was a true um, coach to me rather than, you know, the traditional manager. Great. So what final piece of advice do you have for our talent champions? So I would say, as I said, be optimistic, learn, reshuffle your network, bring in new people into your network, people who you have not been, you know, interested in before, and be prepared for, you know, a, a, a fun ride. I mean, a, I think we need to have a very positive mindset, growth mindset, to be entering this era of, you know, talent and people and be proud of what you're doing and what you've learned. Because I do think that the time to validate what HR has contributed um, is coming and just going to take a different form and shape. It's going to be expressed through uh, data and technology. And uh, we have to be um, prepared to own it. Um, so that's, that's my advice. I love that. Be prepared to own it. I love your optimism about where we're going in the future as far as uh, those individuals that own the human capital and help influence it and drive it. So thank you so much. So you've given us so much terrific information. How could our listeners continue to learn more from you or get in touch with you? I think the best way, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I post most of my publications, uh, lectures, activities. I think it will be fun to have you in my network, and um, I uh, would be happy to uh, engage individually if there are any questions. And uh, do send me a note and tell me what you liked about this um, uh, podcast, what you would, um, would still want to know. And I look forward to staying in touch, Diana, with you as well. Absolutely. So thank you so much. This has been so enlightening. We uh, so appreciate you sharing your experience, your expertise, your passion, just giving back to all of us. So thank you for making the time for us. Thank you so much, Diana. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. Did you know the number of female CEOs in the Fortune 500 companies has decreased by 25% since 2017? For our next episode, I'm talking with the leaders of a major diversity and inclusion network about how organizations are tackling the very real challenge about recruiting, retaining, and supporting a diverse leadership pipeline and workforce as a whole. Visit our website, talent-champions.com, and click on subscribe to receive an email notification when it comes out. Thanks, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show or to receive more valuable insights, please visit franklincovey.com slash talent champions. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out Franklin Covey's other podcast, Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller and Franklin Covey on Leadership, available from your favorite podcast provider.